Welcome to Crosswords. This is a podcast about practical Christianity. Emphasis on practical. How to put Jesus' words into practice. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? As Christians, we live in a culture hostile to righteousness, self-control, and God's judgment. Righteousness because we don't get good messages about what good moral values ought to be. Hostile against self-control because we all make excuses for our behavior as opposed to saying no to sin. And hostile to God's judgment to come because we're usually afraid to talk about death, hell, and judgment, something Jesus spoke of frequently. So in this podcast, we're going to get your mind and your heart in line with Jesus' words and way, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one who can get us out of this world alive. All scriptures quoted will be from the New International Version. You can follow me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord and be a blessing. In the second prayer that we will examine today from Ephesians chapter 3, we will learn that Paul would like us to pray for us to be strengthened with power so that Jesus can dwell in our hearts. Let's read it in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. So let's take this prayer apart. First, he starts saying, I kneel before the Father. You know, we all come from the Father, and we're going back to Him. What you think you have is not yours, even your very body and life. This is what God helps us realize, even through marriage, through the experience of marriage. God teaches us about our pride and our ego through our married life and through our kids' adolescence. They soon need to realize they are not their own. And because we can approach the maker of the universe with freedom and confidence, as it says in Ephesians 3.12, we want to boldly go before the throne and kneel before the Father. Because God's intent is to make known His manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church, as it says in Ephesians 3.10. So we don't need to be discouraged by the suffering and the challenges that we're going to go through. We can kneel before the Father and find strength. That's what he says in this second part of this prayer, that he may strengthen you with power. We come to God because the power to move on 
is only found when we kneel humbly before the throne of God. We want to ask God to strengthen our inner self through the power of the spirit he gave us. Oftentimes we focus too much on our outward strength, the one that's fading away. We want to be strong on the outside. As we get older, our body weakens, or maybe we get sick. Maybe you suffer from a sickness, an illness, and you don't feel powerful. You feel weak. We feel vulnerable. And sometimes we go to God asking him for power when his power is not necessarily going to operate on our outward strength because that's fading away. The focus of this prayer is our inner regeneration. The focus of Christianity, of the new life in Christ, is inner regeneration, not outward power. It's our inner regeneration that will take us to the next life, not our outward flesh. If anything, the outward flesh becomes a stumbling block far too often. So Paul asks that we may be strengthened with power. And then he says, out of his glorious riches, because God's riches go beyond anything in this life. Too often our eyes get set on how we can be made to feel complete or satisfied with the things that we see, taste, touch, hear, or smell. But it's the glorious riches of God, the spiritual riches that are going to completely satisfy us. Are you convinced of that? He says that we may be strengthened with power out of his glorious riches through his spirit. See, it is through the spirit that we receive God's power. It is through the spirit that God's power lives in us. And there's only one way to receive God's spirit. If you haven't received God's spirit, then this prayer really means nothing to you. Acts 5.32 says that the Holy Spirit has been given to those who obey God. Who obey what? Well, Thessalonians speaks of obeying the gospel. And how do we do that? Acts 2.38, we repent and we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins so that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if the gift of the Holy Spirit is in us, we are recipients of this great power from God who works in our inner being, which is the next part of the prayer here. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, we don't lose heart through the struggles of life, even though outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So our outer self, the old man, is wasting away. It's not going to be renewed. You will grow old and you will die. That's a fact. That's why it's not worth investing in this physical life because it's fading away. We want to put our energies to work for our eternity. We want to let our prayers be focused in our eternal investments, not in our own self, not in this physical shell that's wasting away. Ask yourself, where is the power? The power, according to this prayer, is working in us. It's working through the Spirit God gave us to strengthen our inner self, to strengthen the self that we cannot see, touch, taste, hear, or smell. It's not a physical power. It's way more than that. Physical power is weak. Any kind of power you see here, or you can taste, touch, hear, smell, it's it's weak. 
It's fading away. It will not be here in another generation. We focus too often on not having enough of that physical power. And so that's why we're so enamored with our superhero and our fantasy movies and books, because it's all about power, isn't it? I mean, that's the theme. But there's only one real power. It's the power that comes through the Spirit of God. And so those who are recipients of God need to be woke and realize that this power is theirs and it works in them. It's, it's the power that transforms the dying physical into living spiritual. That's the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. It's the power that raised him from the dead. No power on earth can do that. Only God. The power of the world is only effective in the temporary realm of the physical. But the power from God given to us serves in this world. And it has the power to take us to the next one. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And remember, it's not a physical strength necessarily, but it's much more than that, much more powerful than that. And so he prays, the third part of the prayer is, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, not by sight. <laughs> Let Jesus be the one dwelling in your heart, not any other person, place, or thing, not anything that is by sight, by the tangible uh, qualities, because they are all perishing. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is faith. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus is the one when we're dying with him, when we've been sown into him in death through baptism, we are raised to live a new life, a powerful life, a life in the spirit, a life strengthened in our inner being, a life that receives power in our inner being. This all happens through faith. This doesn't happen by any tangible thing. It's not by sight. It's by faith that Christ will dwell in your heart when you've sought to die with him, be buried with him, and be raised to live in him. Nothing else and no one else will help you get rooted and established in the love of God other than Jesus Christ dwelling in your heart. And as he says in the prayer, this will root us and establish us in his love. John will say in 1 John 4, 7 through 10, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, to be rooted is to dig deep into something, hold fast to it, 
This is the love of God. And God showed us this love. It's not something that comes from us. We need to be rooted in Christ and holding fast to him so that we can understand what this love is about. A plant, <coughs> excuse me, a plant that is deeply rooted will withstand mighty winds as opposed to the one that is shallow. If you are rooted in love, then any hate or selfishness or anger or any other antagonist to love will not move you from your position in Jesus. You will withstand any wave of such antagonists that may flow over you because you're firmly planted in the rock in Jesus Christ. And so to be established is to be stable, unmoved, and predictable in your outcomes and location. Something that is established cannot go away or be knocked down easily, for it has a strong support and it's not made to move. And all of love's qualifiers described in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, they are the fruit of established Christians. As John will say in 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we are established and rooted in the love of Christ. This leads us to the next part of his prayer, in which he says that we may have the power to grasp. So we need to be rooted and established in the love of Christ because we need to have power. And again, we come to this theme of power that we also heard in the previous prayer, in the first prayer that we analyzed. Paul prays that we may have the power to grasp. In other words, we want to let God's power be evident in how we display the love of Jesus using our life. And this is a very specific power. Again, it's not a power that comes from the flesh. It's not a power that comes from tangible things. It's the power in our inner being. It's the power that changes us, that transforms us, that renders sin and temptation and the, and the chains of sin useless. We want to be established and rooted. Established and rooted Christians are displays of the manifold love of God. This is because these Christians grasp, they get it, and they comprehend deeply, they know beyond the obvious, this multidimensional love of Jesus. It's transformative to them. And they allow this conviction to change them internally. Some people say that they can't change. And that's true unless they're rooted and established in the love of Christ. This is the power being spoken of here, the power to really change you and transform you. In the first prayer that we examined last week, Paul spoke of knowing this power. And so today we're hearing about letting that power strengthen us and helping us to grasp the infinite love of Christ. And he says we need to uh, grasp this together with all of God's people, where others may recognize love on a superficial level. The rooted and established saints lend themselves to be the very ways in which this love is expressed and displayed to the whole universe. He says to grasp how high, how wide, how long, how deep is the love of Christ. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, 11, and 12, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our 
transgressions from us. So that is a high, that's a multi-dimensional love that, that is eternal, that just continues. There's no way we can measure it. We can grasp its infinity. We can try and grasp it, but we cannot measure it. But the point here that he says in the next part of the prayer is to know that his love surpasses knowledge. We want to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We don't want to be filled just with knowledge. I mean, that was the problem in the Garden of Eden. They were tempted with knowledge. They wanted to be full of knowledge as opposed to be full of life. They wanted to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil as opposed to eating from the tree of life. Hello, what happened there? We're tempted with knowledge. And if anything, the garden taught us is we can't handle knowledge. But we can handle love. We can be loved. We can be the recipients of love. We can give love. And that's what we're to do in Christ. We ought to be firmly rooted, established in his love. We need to grasp that multidimensional love of Christ. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing in Jesus. That's what we're doing being the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, 2, and 3, Paul will say, We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something don't yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Think of those words. The best knowledge can do for us is to puff us up. And, and I'm talking about worldly knowledge. We know that we need the knowledge of Christ. I mean, that was the point of the first prayer uh, that we examined last time. That's good knowledge because that knowledge should lead us to what? It should lead us to grasping that his love surpasses knowledge. And so love builds up. Knowledge doesn't build up, but love does that. And then the last part of the prayer here is, is what we call a doxology, uh, 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 some words of praise and glory to God. And so in this doxology, Paul is reminding us that God can do immeasurably more that we, than we can ask for or imagine. And he does it according to the power at work within us through the Holy Spirit. And he gets the glory for it all in the church and in Christ through all generations. We don't get any glory. It's God who's doing the work. Notice we can only give glory to God in Christ, in the church. This is God's plan. I mean, this is the ultimate purpose, as Paul describes in Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. His intent was that now through the church, notice that's the vehicle that God is using. His intent is that through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. That's his eternal purpose. He accomplished it through Christ, through the church. The church is his body. He wants to show his manifold wisdom through this church. He's using us. We're going to give him glory. When we understand our purpose, when we can grasp the infinite love of Christ, and when we're convinced that his love surpasses knowledge. Thank you. 
thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.